Well, this morning we are kicking off the summer with uh, a bit of a new message series, and uh, we're calling it Encountering God in the Old Testament, where we're going to go, we're, we're going to look at one encounter a Sunday uh, at various people encountering God in the Old Testament, and what they learned, what they took away, you know, just even as uh, Dan prayed a moment ago and speaking about Jacob is one of them. But we want to do that. We want to sort of have a little survey of encounters with God through the Old Testament this summer to try to learn ourselves more about the character of God. We can't see Him with our physical eyes. Being a believer in Jesus is a walk of faith, but God first revealed Himself in the Old Testament. And so we want to take a bit of a journey together and learn more about God's character, learn more about God's heart, that we might have a greater encounter with Him ourselves through faith in His Son, Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so we're going to begin this morning in a moment by looking at Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and their journey of learning to trust in God's voice. But before we go there, I just want to begin a question as we often do here on Sundays, and, and that is this. Have you ever felt like you experienced, you had an experience where you thought you were getting a good deal only to find out that it, it wasn't? You know, anybody here had that experience? I, I hear a few of you laughing nervously in the background there, but, but, you know, it got me thinking, you know, about airline advertisements, and I know there's a lot of buzz going on about airlines these days, but, you know, oftentimes airlines will advertise ridiculously low fares in order to entice you to maybe make a booking, only once you start dreaming about a destination and start clicking into the details, you find out the price is only for a one-way fare. Not only that, it doesn't include fees for baggage, it doesn't include something called a, a fuel surcharge, whatever that is. And worst of all, you find out the price doesn't even cover the snacks, which to me is like a big deal. And as you get to the total, you know, you're clicking away and you're finding out where this is all landing, sorry for the bad pun, the final price looks nothing like what was advertised. So you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, how about you? What comes to mind for you this morning as I ask this question about experiencing something not quite as awesome as you were told? All right. So I want to invite you to turn to the person beside you or think about if you're on your own, uh, something that you found was not quite as advertised. And just take a moment and share that with the person beside you. Would you do that? <laughs> Off to a great start. Obviously, I uh, had some material to work with on that question. And if you've lived on planet Earth, I think, for any length of time, you'll likely have a story or an experience of something being, as I said, not quite as awesome as advertised or, or exactly what was told to you, you know. And you may, maybe in your journey uh, along the way, have been told something even false or misleading about something. Uh, and if that's been the case for you at any point in your life, you would not be alone because that is something that's been happening from the very beginning, the Bible tells us. 
And one of the things that's, you know, hard in life that we learn is that not every voice that we hear is a trustworthy one. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we crack open the Bible and we see in our passage this morning in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, where we find that they actually encounter three voices that seek to speak into their life. God's voice, their own voice, and the voice of God's enemy, the devil, leaving them with three choices of whose voice they're going to trust and whose voice they're going to follow as they set out in their life. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible and go there to Genesis chapter 3 with me, starting at verse 1. We're going to look at this foundational story of the Scriptures. And over the course of the message, we're going to make our way through most of this chapter. But Genesis 3 begins by saying this in verse 1. It says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, that is the serpent, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And here, what is being referred to is the Garden of Eden and the tree that God placed in the middle of it, if you know the story. In verse 2, it says, The woman said to the servant, We may eat fruit from the, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows what what knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's just pause there. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word this morning, and we pray, God, that as we access truth through your trusted word, your spirit would counsel us and would open the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our hearts to hear it. And so, Lord, would you speak this morning freshly, and would you help us hear, obey, and follow in Jesus' name. You know, the book of Genesis in the Bible is the book of the Bible that, that tells us how things began. The word Genesis literally means origins. In Genesis 1, it says that God spoke, and at His word, the universe was created, and it came into being. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God then created Adam and Eve and gave them a garden, a territory uh, within God's greater creation for them to steward and enjoy along with their offspring. And in the middle of that territory, in the middle of that, that, that amazing, pristine garden, Genesis says there were two trees, which we just heard about. One, the tree of life, and the other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says. And up until this moment in the, in the story, in the story of creation, chapter 3, the only voice that Adam and Eve know apart from their own is, is God's. It's the only voice they know apart from their own. And one of the first things you learn about God in just starting at the beginning is that God is a God who speaks. And when God speaks, it's powerful. When God speaks, it's creative. When God speaks, life follows. And that's one of the very first things we learn about who God is, of what He is like. He is a God who speaks. 
It's how he chose to create the universe. His word always brings life to those who will receive it. In chapter 2, before Eve is created in the story, God says to Adam, God says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, this is God's heart of, of generosity. Lest we skip over some of the detail of these stories and think, man, isn't God sort of stingy or sort of maybe holding out? That's not the picture at all. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. And in God's voice, we hear a heart of protection. We hear a heart of warning. We hear God say, listen, there's something that is just not for you, not for you to handle. It's not going to be good for you. And so that's the word, that's God's word to Adam at the outset of what God sets up for him and soon Eve also. And God either repeated that command again later to Adam and Eve when they were together, or Adam did a really good job of passing on to Eve what he had heard God say himself. Because when the serpent shows up in our story here in chapter 3, Eve knows the command and she actually repeats it back to the serpent as he tries to begin engaging a conversation about the nature of God's word to her. She confirms it. She goes, no, I know what God said. He said not to eat of this tree. But suddenly she, and not just Eve, because in the story and in the details of it, we find that Adam is actually standing nearby the whole time. But they encounter another voice. So there's God's voice, it's their own voice, but now there's a third voice, and it's the voice of God's enemy. It's the voice of the serpent. And later in Scripture, we know that the serpent is actually the devil. This is a, a picture for us in the mystery of the nature of the Genesis story. This serpent is the devil, the enemy of God. At the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation picks up the same imagery that, was, that got started, calling the devil that ancient serpent or Satan, who will be locked up at the end to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore because this enemy of God is one who speaks untruth, non-truth, counterfeit truth. Jesus calls the devil a liar, a liar, and the father of lies. And, he, and it's the devil's voice, the Scriptures say, that currently hogs the airwaves of the world we currently live in. Up until the moment when Jesus returns, when He makes all things new, when He does away with that third voice forever. The Bible, including Jesus, describes the devil, if you're struggling, as a real being, as a real being that has a spiritual hold upon the, the minds and the hearts and to a certain extent, the circumstances of our world. Now, the devil isn't operating on equal footing with God. The Scripture does not set up God and Satan ever that way. They are not equals. There is, there, there is no match for Jesus ever, as we heard last Sunday. But through humanity's agreement with the enemy's voice, the devil has been permitted a temporary hold on the world until the time of the end. Did you catch that? It's through humanity's agreement with the enemy's voice that the devil has gained his place in this world. 
Now, the devil isn't behind every lie that we hear because he's not omnipresent like God. He's not on the same level. But as Jesus says, he is the father of every lie. Every lie can be traced back to him and the first lie that we encounter in our passage at the very beginning. Every lie can be traced back to this conversation that the serpent was trying to have with Eve and Adam to question and disbelieve what God has said. And it's out of the devil's mouth in our passage that we actually come to the very first question recorded for us in Scripture, where the devil asks, did God really say? And, you know, that is the question behind every temptation that we face, that you and I face every day. Did God really say not to do that? Did God really say that that is bad? You know, did God really say that? Or that what God is saying not to do is eventually going to lead to a consequence of of pain and separation and darkness and all kinds of other things that God never wanted us to have. Did God really say those things? That's the first question that the devil posed to Eve and Adam to try to make, to try to take them down, to try to take down what God valued most in all of his creation, people, you and me. See, it's a takedown question. The devil doesn't play fair. He wants to come alongside you and me and invite us to ask the question, did God really say? Did God really say? The devil always works to counter the voice of God that is given to us in Scripture. His strategy is to undermine in our heart what God has said by first inviting us to question it, or perhaps to question the plain meaning of what God has said. Inserting that word really Is that what it really says? You know, once the devil sows doubt in our heart, he then takes it up a notch on the dial and he contradicts God's Word altogether. It's the next step of what following his voice always leads to. In verse 4, the serpent says to Eve, you will certainly not die. And that, that was a lie because death was the consequence, the direct consequence of Adam and Eve eating from the tree and disobeying God because God Himself is the very source of life. To turn away from God is actually to turn towards an experience of death because God Himself is the source of life. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. And even to this moment right now, the Scriptures say, He is holding in His mercy all things together. Even those who do not acknowledge Him, don't believe Him, don't follow Him, perhaps are trying to pursue an altogether different direction from him. But in turning away and eating of the fruit, Adam and Eve's innocence also died. They were exposed to things that they didn't need to be exposed to. Our lives are exposed to all kinds of ugly trauma that God never wanted our hearts to be exposed to or to open ourselves to. So their innocence died. Their close relationship with God in that moment died in them literally turning away from God, no longer believing Him or trusting Him. And despite what the devil told them, they eventually physically died. You know, a reality none of us can ignore. 
And Satan goes from questioning to distorting to outright contradicting what God has said. It is the slippery slope of following his voice or following his line of thinking that always contradicts Scripture in the end. His voice is one of steadily trying to lure us away from what God has said. And I don't know if you've caught on yet, but here at Wellspring, we just want to keep coming back to the Word of God. And you're going to hear me take you back Scripture to Scripture to Scripture because that's our foundation. We want to put all of our faith and trust in what God has said for our lives. It's why we want to pray Scripture, sing Scripture, read Scripture, contemplate Scripture, memorize Scripture, share Scripture back to one another. In Adam and Eve's first story, we first encounter God's voice, then we encounter their voice, and then we encounter this, Satan's voice, I should say, then we encounter their voice, maybe a third voice if you like. In verse 6 it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it, it says. And in that moment, Eve was not only now just hearing the enemy's voice, but now she was hearing her own voice in the form of the desires of her heart, in the form of her flesh, those inner selfish desires that can be taken advantage of to take us far away from God and His will for our lives. And that's a voice that all of us encounter in our lives. There's a voice within us that desires things out of selfish ambition and wrongful motives that leads us to a bad place if we, if we keep following that voice. It says that when she saw that the food was good, pleasing to the eye, desirable she ate, she did the thing that God said not to do. And so her own voice was mixed in the moment. You know, the voice of our own inner selfish desires gets in the way of what God desires for us. There's a a battle going on within all of us regarding the inner voice of what the Scriptures call the flesh. You know, God commands us to live a holy life. God commands us to follow His decrees and His ways and to adopt the lifestyle that we see put forth by Jesus modeled to us in the Scriptures, called for. The Apostle Paul says a follower of Jesus is not to live according to the flesh, according to that that voice within of desire, but to live according to the Spirit, which is a life of obedience to the Word of, of God empowered with the help of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, near the end of the New Testament, it says this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Is that not true? A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. It ends by saying these are not from the Father, but they're from this world. To wrap up the story as we go back to Genesis and we look at verse 8, where it says, after this, after Adam and Eve took the bait and believed Satan instead of God, it says God came in pursuit of them. It says, after they had believed the enemy instead of him, God still came for them. God began pursuing them, even though they had left him. And it says this, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Where are you? I personally don't think it was a, where are you? 
Sorry, I know that woke you up a little bit. I think it was, uh, where are you? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And now we begin to hear more of the voice of Adam and Eve. Their voice is first heard in that desire within that they gave into, but now their voice is being heard in them blaming one another. And do you know that is not the voice of God? That is not the voice of God. God is truth, and He is mercy, and He comes with both. The story wraps up by God judging the serpent who led Adam and Eve astray, but with an amazing prophetic promise built into that first judgment. God says to the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And here's the prophetic punchline, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In God's judgment against the serpent, against the the devil at the outset of the Bible, God gives the first prophetic promise of a Savior, one who will rescue us from what we have done in believing the enemy. It's a prophetic promise of the coming of Jesus, who would one day be born as a descendant of a woman to defeat the devil's lies and the power of sin over our lives. As a descendant of Eve, the Son of God would be born to crush Satan's head. Though Satan would strike Jesus' heel through the crucifixion in God's perfect plan to offer him up as a perfect sacrifice and substitute for us. It's incredible. You see, the cross was not an afterthought added on It was the plan from the very beginning, the moment, the moment humanity, the the moment Adam and Eve, the moment that we believed the enemy instead of God. God stepped in with a plan to rescue and redeem us, beginning with a question, where are you? Where have you gone? Where are you? Because I've got a plan to bring you back from wherever it is you are, from wherever it is you are in listening to one who's taking you away. You know, when God comes at him and Eve after what they've done, he, he asks this question. And it says the question comes as God is walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And it's actually a metaphor. The phrase literally means wind. And it's like they felt God's presence and then they heard God's voice out of that. And notice what God does not say in that encounter. He does not say, why did you do this? What are you going to do to fix this? I'm done with you. He doesn't say any of those things because that's not who God is. His character is not like ours. He never says those things. He says, where are you? And that is the question that we are asked of God. Anytime we have wandered from Him, out of His heart for you, out of his heart for me, 
He asked the question, where are you? Where are you? That's a good question for today. You see, God's question wasn't about geography. It wasn't about geography. As one commentator puts it, God's question to Adam and Eve in that moment was about not coordinates, but condition, the condition of their heart towards Him. A lot of times people will ask in the midst of a struggle, and I've done it, where are you, God? God, where are you in the midst of all that I'm going through? But the real question that we need to be asking in those moments is where are we? Where are we in light of what's going on? Are we trusting in His voice despite what we see, despite maybe what we feel, despite maybe what others are, are telling us? Are we trusting in His voice first and foremost above any other, whether our own best thinking or what the world may be telling us? You know, life, there are three choices. There are three choices out of the three voices that we hear. God's voice, our voice, the voice of the world around us, which has been infiltrated by the enemy. When we question what God has said, we become lured away by the enemy out of our own selfish ambitions. It leads us into conflict with God. It leads us into conflict with others. It leads us to a bad place that God does not want you and I to go. The way out is to begin believing again what He has said. See, I believe that Adam and Eve began to have no trouble believing what God had said after the fact, unfortunately. But God wants us to believe it ahead of time, that we would be spared, that we would be spared the grief, the darkness, the separation, the all of that ugh stuff that comes with not trusting God. You know, one of the things that's being questioned, twisted, encountered like never before is what God says about sexuality. Whose voice will you believe on that subject, on all the levels that's spoken about? Your own? Maybe your own version? Perhaps what the world is saying? Or what God clearly and consistently has said from Genesis to Revelation about God's design of human beings, God's intention for marriage, the holiness that needs to be the context of sexuality so that it would be good and not something destructive. Whose voice will you believe? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Deuteronomy 30 says, the Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep his commands and decrees written in this book of instruction, the scriptures, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. To close, I want to give you four ways you can hear God's voice clearly. The first two have to do with truth. The second two have to do with finding God's uh, leading for your life in, on a personal matter. And they are listed for you now in an, in an order. And at the top of the list is simply the Scriptures, the Bible. The way to hear God's voice is to filter everything you think through what the Word of God says. And that means being in the Word of God. 
That means study what the Word of God says about a subject from beginning to end. It's making the Bible your filter for what you are deciding is good or bad, false or true. Here's the second. The counsel of mature believers. See, God wants us to be part of a community. That's why church is so critical. We come to the Scriptures together and we lean upon the maturity of other people who've gone on the journey and are demonstrating a faithful, committed life to Jesus and His Word. And in that, we find great counsel when we're wondering and scratching our heads about what to think in terms of the teaching of Scripture. We find teachers and encouragers and people who've gone the distance in following God. Third, so those first two have to do with truth. The last two have to do with finding direction. How do I hear God's voice to find direction? And often a critical matter after you've filtered everything through the Scriptures and you've, you've sought the counsel of wise believers is to look if you are experiencing, experiencing the peace of God on what you are thinking about pursuing. Because the Holy Spirit is called a counselor and He will guide you. He will speak to you. And one of the key ways that God speaks to us is elevating the peace in our heart when we're considering a decision that God is in. And so spend time asking the Lord and create space in your life to say, Lord, what do you think about this? And would you acquaint my heart with your peace on the direction you want me to go? And here's the last one. Look for confirmation because God uses people, circumstances, and timing to confirm and affirm things for us as we faithfully seek Him out. And so, Lord, just keep me alert to what you're doing. Give me a heads up. Help me to kind of know your way. I know you've given me a brain. I'm using it. But I'm asking that my will would be subverted to yours. And so lead me, Lord. Open my eyes to see how you're lining things up. You know, I love what one author has said about listening to a voice. And this is where I'm going to end. Which voice one listens to in the short term will determine the course of your day? Let me say that one more time. Which voice one listens to in the short term, will determine the course of your day. Listening longer will determine one's season. Which, one, which voice one listens to the most in life will determine one's eternal destination. And I love that. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd come and help us respond this morning as we just continue to elevate Jesus and His Word over our lives. Hebrews 3 says this, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And so would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me that we would have soft hearts to the truth of God's word on every matter. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that was always in your plan to send Jesus to rescue us. You're a God of love who, who seeks after those you've created. And we just thank you for your amazing, extravagant, committed, covenant love for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that when we walked away from you and we didn't exactly believe you, you still came for us. You still came. Would you forgive us where we've believed a lie? Would you forgive us when we've not revered your word? 
Jesus, you said, if you love me, don't just know my commands, obey them. And we just want to ask your forgiveness where we've not obeyed what you said. We just want to come to you in a spirit of repentance, Lord Jesus, and just, just ask for mercy. And I ask this morning, Lord, for a resolve in each one of us to come, to adhere to the truth of your word, to build our lives upon the trustworthiness of the revelation of your word. Jesus, I pray for supernatural ability to hear your voice as a church, individually, God. We want to hear from you. We want to have hearts attuned to you. So, Lord, we know that begins with attuning ourselves to your word, and then it goes on from there. But make us a church who knows the voice of the Lord. And may you drown out every other voice in our heart. Drown out the voice of the enemy. In Jesus' name, we cut off the lies of the enemy this morning. If you know you've believed a lie on something, something of culture, something of your own ambition, you know, you're struggling with belief, why don't you just tell the Lord right now? Why don't you just, just tell him, say, Lord Jesus, I need your help to be in the truth this morning. Help me. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me. You're the advocate. You're the helper. You're the counselor. So Jesus, may you be elevated in our lives and may we have a passion for your word and believe no other voice in Jesus' name.